Well, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Beth Deweese. Beth and her husband, Jim, have been here at Waterstone for about five years. Um, Beth has her PhD in clinical psychology, and you'll get to hear more about this later, but she is a certified trainer with Brene Brown's work, if you've read any of Brene Brown's stuff. Um, so she's a fantastic resource for us here at church. They have three kiddos. Avery and Everett are 12, and Matt, or Caroline is 7. Um, and we are very lucky to have her here with us tonight to talk about the topic of loneliness. So welcome. I'm so glad I don't have to use a microphone. Um, yeah. <clears throat> okay, let me just orient myself up here. Okay, so I am very grateful to be with you all this evening. I, um, whenever I'm asked to speak, I always say yes, because if I, if I can do it in my schedule, I always say yes, because I really enjoy the process of getting ready for a talk, and because it makes me engage in my own work in a new and more intentional way often. And so <clears throat> I said, yes, yeah, sure, yeah, sign me up, I'll come talk. Um, what I failed to anticipate, though, is that I was talking on loneliness. And so it reminded me of how when um, they say, like, oh, don't, don't pray to God for patience because you'll have ample opportunity to practice patience. It felt like don't say you'll speak on loneliness because you'll have ample opportunity to look at your own loneliness. So, um, but I said yes, and here I am. And I am excited to be with you all and to spend the next 90 minutes with you. Um, during our time, I will be doing some teaching and I'm gonna be kind of throwing a lot at you, but I really, my goal for tonight is that you leave here equipped with something. A new tool to use in your life, um, a new insight, a new way of acting on your life. Um, something that you leave here with something, not just a lot of, not just information is my goal. Um, let me tell you just a little bit more about me. So as Danielle said, I do have my doctorate in clinical psychology and I have been in practice as a licensed psychologist for more than 10 years in the Denver area. And I have worked in a lot of different capacities and I have also completed, um, Brene Brown's training is called The Daring Way. And so I completed her training. Um, it's, it's an intensive training and certification process. Um, and program, and so I did that a few years ago, and so I offer workshops and retreats and things like that using, utilizing her work. Also, um, I've worked in a lot of different capacities. I've worked in inpatient hospitals, outpatient hospitals, or, or outpatient settings. I've worked um, in a lot of different arenas. And I currently get to do what I really, what really is my first love in the practice of psychology, which is individual therapy with, I work almost solely just with adult women with varying um, concerns and challenges or tra and transitions in life. And I really, really love my work. I, I don't think a week goes by that I'm not in my practice at some point thinking, I'm so lucky to get to do this work. I really think that as human beings, one of the most sacred things we can do with another human being is to sit with someone or walk alongside them in their pain. And I think this can look a lot of different ways. I get to do it as a therapist. And so that's what I get to do. And for whatever reason, I really love that and feel like it's my calling in life. As we talk about loneliness tonight, I really want to honor that this is kind of a heavy 
topic, that it's, I can talk at kind of a high level, but that's not really my goal tonight. My goal is to, is to really honor that this is a heavy, weighty topic. And so I'm going to be kind of diving into the deep end of it at times, and I invite you to dive in with me and swim there for a while. Um, and I hope to create just an environment that feels safe enough to do that. Um, one of the things I have learned as my tenure as a psychologist is that no matter what, people are people are people are people, right? Like, it doesn't matter if I'm sitting with the most severely and persistently mentally ill person or the most high-functioning person who maybe has like a transition to work through, right? It's like people are people, it doesn't matter. And people need people. People need people, it doesn't matter what the issues are, people need people. And um, oftentimes in life, we will go to any length to get healthy connection with people, or we will go to any length to numb our need for that connection through a variety of ways, or we will sometimes try to hotwire connection with people. And so we may, maybe that looks like connecting with the person and kind of surrendering yourself and being whatever that person needs you to be, right? So then we get these kind of lopsided relationships or it can um, turn into codependent relationships or even abusive relationships. And so, but we, but we all need that connection. And so we will go to any length to get that, whether it looks healthy or unhealthy. And I also want to tell you that I am not in any way an expert on loneliness. I am not standing up here, I am not gonna tell you this one time I was lonely and this is what I did and I never have to be lonely again. Um, I'm not an expert, I am just like you. Um, I am human and I have not navigated my loneliness in a pretty way always. It's been messy at times. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of space in life for that. that it, there's, no, there's not really a formula and um, and I'm, I'm not above it, I'm just like you. One thing that we will do tonight is I will be checking in with you periodically. And part of, part of that is practicing some of what I will be teaching. And um, part of that is I think it's really important to know what's going on internally. So as we get started, I, I'm an, I want to ask you a few questions. Um, my first question, I want you to kind of get present to just the, the moment that we're at. And so I, I, I want to know why you are here tonight. And you're not going to tell me why you're here. I want you to write it down. So if you have a pen and paper, write it down. There's pens and markers and paper in the back. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to be having you write it several times tonight. So feel free at any time to pop up and grab extra supplies, whatever you want. I want you to take a moment and answer the question, why have you come? Why did you come to a lecture on loneliness? Some of you may be here because you said, well, there's a lecture series at church and I'm coming to all six of the lectures. So this happened to be loneliness. Some of you may be here because you are swimming again in the deep end of loneliness and can hardly keep your head above water and need 
any outlet you can to maybe get a new resource. Regardless of why you're here, what, what, whatever reason is welcome. I'm glad you are here. I also want you to just consider what you may need tonight, what you, want to, what you may need to hear, what you want to leave with tonight, um, whatever comes to mind when I ask that question. What do you need in this space tonight? When you leave here, what do you want to leave with? And again, I'm not going to ask you to share any of that information. We're not going to circle back to this. I just think it's really important to know our intention about why we do what we do and what we need. And I really believe that God is present here with us tonight, and God is working, and God is a meter of needs. And so that may look how you want it to look, and it may not look how you want it to look, but I'm choosing to believe that you will get what you need tonight. And as I said before, feel free at any time to pop up and get supplies. That doesn't, I live in a chaotic home with three loud children. Like, you know, activity doesn't bother me. Um, well, except sometimes it does, but it won't tonight. Um, so feel free to grab supplies. If you have questions at any time, pop your hand up. I'd love to answer questions. Um, I want this to feel engaging to you as well. When I stand here, am I, I'm not in the light, am I? Is there a shadow back here? Okay. All right, so let's dive into loneliness. So I first want to just define loneliness for you. So loneliness is a feeling of being alone, solitary, without company, or isolated. I would add to that definition also disconnected. Um, a feeling of being alone, solitary, without company, isolated, and disconnected. So it is a feeling but it's also, I believe, a state of being. I think we can live lonely lives, disconnected lives. I don't believe that it is, well, I'll, ta I'll talk about that in a moment. So I think that loneliness is about others and it's totally independent of others. So what I mean by that is that we can feel alone, we can feel lonely when we are alone, or, and we can feel lonely when we're with a group group of people, right? Sometimes the most acutely lonely that we feel is when we're with other people. That's when we connect sometimes to our loneliness. In the Bible, it often talks about, well, it names several times um, the idea of, of lonely as a place. So, so like it will say, the Bible says, like Jesus went to a lonely place to pray. And that's not, that's not talking about loneliness. That's talking about a physical space that was desolate. So he went out to a desolate place to pray. Um, the Psalms do talk about, a little bit about, that I was looking through in there, a few times lone, being lonely was mentioned. But what we hear more about in the Bible is, are things, the promises of God, right? So I will be with you always, even to the ends of the ages. Um, that we're not alone. Um, the one place that it is mentioned early on is actually in Genesis. You don't get very far into Genesis before we hear about this idea of being alone. So I want to move into this idea of being human <coughs> because that's, that's where we first hear about being alone. So in Genesis 1.26, it says, then God's 
this is a little bit paraphrasing, guys. But it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. And then it goes on to say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then down another chapter, it says, so what we know is that God created all of creation, created man, and then everything was good, and then he created man, and he says, not good for man to be alone, right? So it was the first time that that had come into play that we know of in the creation story. So what do we know? We know that we are created in the image of God. And I be- so I believe every human that has ever existed since the time of Adam until now and it, until the end of time is created in the image of God. So this is just, I'm, I'm just offering you the Christian worldview right now. And so I believe that what that part of what that means is that we are cre- created to be relational. There were re- relational beings. And I love that we, that the Christian God is a triune God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That we have an example of God being a relational God. And we have um, being created in the image of God implies also that we are created to be relational beings. And so God created Adam. Adam was in perfect union with God, right? No nothing no sin had entered the world yet the fall had not happened yet adam was in perfect union with god and i'm i i'm kind of guessing because i don't have any evidence to suggest this isn't true is that adam was also in perfect union with himself so he had union with god and union with himself he knew god and he knew himself and but he couldn't express his humanity fully until another human being existed. God created Eve. Then we have, we have these three places that humans, I believe, are supposed to be connected to God, to self, and to others. Okay, So sometimes I think of it as like a pyramid with God at the top and the person kind of right in the middle of the pyramid being connected to self. And then there's this space out here that we connect to others. Um, and so this is how I, I just believe how we are created to be. That, that we work the best when we, are cre- when we are connected to all three places, to God, self, and others. This um, is an example of interdependence. So we are supposed to be connected um, interdependently with other people. And what I love, and we'll get to this in a little bit, is that science actually totally supports this. And I'm going to give you a bunch of research in a little bit that supports all of this, which I love. I love it when science supports what I know to be true. So the other thing that we know about what it means to be human is that we will experience pain and suffering. Since the fall, since sin entered the world, there has been pain and suffering. Even Jesus, who was perfect in every way, experienced pain and suffering, right? It's not just what we create in in the world, it's it's we can all we can also experience pain and suffering from other people. We can produce it, and we can also receive it. And we often experience pain and suffering in relationships. So we're supposed to be relational, created to be relational. And what happens in relationships often? We're wounded. We experience pain and suffering in relationship. So. 
oftentimes, I believe as humans, we work really hard to circumvent that reality. I'm relational, I need people, I need God, I need to be connected to myself. Oh, and there's pain and suffering. And that's yucky, right? That's hard, that's messy. And so without even realizing it, sometimes we work really hard to circumvent that. And sometimes we do it and we don't even know we're doing it. Or we've done it for so long we, didn't, we don't even know that that's a dysfunctional pattern. So one of the ways that we do that is what I call the four Ps, and it's based on Brene Brown's research. She calls it, um, she talks about it as pleasing, perfecting, performing, improving. So these are four ways that we show up in life to circumvent the pain, to try to get connection with others with, without pain entering in. So what does that look like? So um, I, I, can, I can tell you I have done all four of these. And on any given day, I will do all four of these. Um, some of us may not. I do. Um, so people pleasing. How many of you have ever met a people pleaser? Well, if you've met me, you've met a people pleaser. So, so that is people, that a person who is people pleasing will go to any length to meet somebody's needs. So I often think of this as like uh, someone who is anticipating the needs of others and meeting them before they even can express the need or they think they know the need and they meet it. So they're like the nicest people, right? You just like, who wouldn't want to be with someone who's like taking care of everyone, right? Um, how about perfectionists? Perfecting. So, so how does that... How does that have anything to do with circumventing pain? Well, let me tell you what it can look like in my life. I need to, I need to look right. I need to have the right clothes. I need to, my house needs to be in order and perfect. Um, my kids need to be behaved. Um, I need to have um, a good career path. I, I, everything has to be in its place, okay, and everything has to feel perfect to me and part of what happens is that if I spend enough energy doing that I don't have to look at the pain right I can just spend all this time on the all these externals so I'll just clean a toilet again I will do more dishes I'll straighten the curtains I don't know like we'll create things to do so we don't have to feel that pain the other thing is that no is that we we don't have to look at it but then other people also can't see it right so if we present this perfect facade there's no cracks in it, right? You, she looks perfect. She has the perfect everything, or he has the perfect everything. So it looks like they got everything together, right? And so, so people, so you can't, you can't um, see the pain. Uh, people on the outside can't see the pain either. Performing, I think of performing as like taking on roles. So if you think of like an actor, like I'm taking on a role in a play. Um, so one of the, one of the, roles that I think of as like super mom, right? So I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be on the PTA, I'm gonna be the room mom, I'm gonna, blah, blah, you know, I'm gonna go on every field trip, I'm gonna, I don't know, wear my cape every day and everyone will know I'm the super mom. Um, which again, is another way to have an identity, to feel like we're connected, but we're not really connected. We're still circumventing any kind of real messy, painful relationships with self and others. Improving is another one. So I, I'm a total prover. So um, if you tell me I can't, I'll show you I can, right? 
So for me, one of the one of the landmarks in my life about proving was um, getting my getting my PhD. I just knew that I got my bachelor's degree, of course, in four years. It cannot take longer than that, right? Can't take time to really figure out what you're going to do with your life. You got to get through, because that's what a prover does. And um, I had taken a couple years off, but I knew that I needed to go back to school because I just felt this pressure, like a bachelor's not enough. You can't just have a bachelor's degree. So um, in my own overachieving way, I went straight for the doctorate, right? And so I really believed on some, I don't know if it was super conscious at the time, but it was there that I really believed, like if I just get that highest degree, then I will have arrived, I will have an identity, People will call me doctor, and who, like, who doesn't want that, right? Except then I got it, and I realized it doesn't matter, right? I'm still human. I'm still messy. I still, like, have to figure this life out. So that's, again, that's part of why I tell you at the beginning, I'm really just like you. Like, it doesn't matter that I have three more initials after my name. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Ask my husband. Um, he would agree. So, so those are four ways that we show up in life circumventing this pain and trying to get connection. Another, a few other examples, our theology. It's really easy to get stuck in our theology and ignore the stuff that doesn't fit with that, okay? So example, um, what would be a good example of theology? I believe that, let's see. I believe that it is not okay, not that this is good theology, mind you, but I believe it's not okay to get angry. That um, a lot of women believe this. It's not okay to be angry. I can't be angry because God's, I don't know, God, or I can be angry, but I can't, I can't display it in a, in a sinful way, right? That's more common, maybe. But I find myself raging at my children, right? But God says I can't sin, so I just shouldn't feel angry. That's where we go with that. That's the equation sometimes we get to. I'm either raging at my children or I have to flip that switch and turn it off because my theology says I can be angry but I, but I can't sin. So we can get really stuck in our theology and our minds and um, not, be, not even look at the pain as a result. We can also get stuck in the shoulds, right? Well, I should do this or I should, shouldn't do that, okay? Um, I call it shooting on ourselves. <laughs> Anyways, um, there's also this, uh, sometimes there's an illusion of connection. So if I pulled up my Facebook right now for you, you would see pretty little photos of me and my family sitting on a mountaintop or sitting in our front yard or whatever, right? If you just look at my Facebook or my Instagram, you would think my life was nice and pretty and had a little bow on it. And there's this illusion of connection there, right? We'll talk about social media later as well. Um, or we go on to other people, we just go browse Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I don't know, I, I don't know if those are even in anymore, but um, we see pictures like, oh, she's out with all these girlfriends. Well, she's so cool. What's wrong with me? I never get invita invitations to girls' night out or whatever. Um, and then also we can get stuck in lies, right? So some of the lies that come up a lot is... Well, when I am fit enough, when I'm smart enough, when I'm thin enough, when, I'm, uh, when I've achieved enough, when I whatever enough, when I'm those things, then I, then I can have the connection. 
Then I can have the relationships that everyone else seems to have. Then I'll, then I will, then I can get the good stuff in life, right? That it's, that we believe those lies, that I have to do something else in order to get where I want to be. And so as a result, let me, um, actually, let me go back for a moment. So the, I want to, I want to check in with you because I think that this is an exhausting hustle. This is like, a, it's exhausting to show up in life like this and we do it all the time. Okay, I find myself hustling frequently. You know, if I, if I just like, if I just get my kitchen clean, then I will feel better, right? <laughs> then I don't have to feel yucky for whatever reason. Um, it's exhausting. So we show up in the four Ps. We deny what's really happening. We maybe just live in our heads, disconnect kind of from the neck up. I don't, I don't really want to feel. I'm just going to live in my mind from the neck up. No, I'm not going to connect to anything else. Does anyone relate to this? I relate to this, but yeah. I believe that this is a recipe for loneliness. I believe this is where loneliness is often birthed. And how many of you love feeling lonely? I don't, right? So I wonder, does your life look how you thought it would look at this point in your life? Does it look? Did you think that you would be at this place in life? Did, did you think you would be going through a massive health crisis? Did you think your children would be making poor decisions in life? Did you think that you would be dealing with grief and loss like you're dealing with? Did you think, I, I, could, I could go on and on, did you think you would be 40 and still single? Did you think you would be divorced and a single parent? Did you think that you would be dealing with infertility? Whatever, most of us don't anticipate those things. I don't think, I don't believe. And so I believe that, well, let me give you a couple examples from my life. So here's one example. So I've been taught since I was very little, and anyone who's grown up in the church know, will have been taught this also, that t your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Taught that forever. I have no idea what that means, but that's what I was taught always from a, being a little girl. So if the, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, why do I hate my body sometimes? Why do I believe I have to do A, B, and C so that it will look the right way? Why do I think I have to be a size whatever so that then my body can be the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? Again, whatever that means. Or um, so I've been stuck in that. Or for me, again, what about, um, for me, it was like if I just achieved more, if I just, if I just achieved more, if I just got, you know, more degrees or more whatever. <laughs> my, my husband just, my husband's just sitting right here. He told me the other day he saw a bumper sticker that said twin mom, typical overachiever, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't mean to have twins, but um, I got them. <laughs> it was like, God knew, she's just overachieving. I'll just give her twins. Um, <laughs> or for me, or for me, sitting in my infant boy's nursery when they are little, I don't even know what, how old, they were like first three months sometime, in, in the, you know, oh, dark o'clock, bleary-eyed, you know, holding one of them, I don't even know which one I was holding at this point, in a in a dark, cold house, rocking him and having the most intense feeling of acute loneliness wash over me and thinking, 
what is wrong with me? I have everything I've ever wanted, right? I have my degree, right? So that was supposed to work. I have a house, I have a husband, and I have children. Two, I have an instant family, right? And, and I'm lonelier than I have ever been, right? That was, that's so confusing. How do you make sense of that? How can I be so lonely and have everything I've ever wanted? So I want to ask you to just, this is, I want to check in with you. Actually, I want you to check in with yourselves, and I'm going to kind of guide you through that. So I want you all to just close your eyes. And just take a few deep breaths and just kind of just get quiet in yourself. Sometimes we never even do this throughout the day. And I wonder, where do you feel lonely? Where do you feel disconnected? And I want you to just listen to what comes up. Now you don't want I don't want you to judge it. Just let what is coming up come up. Take another, take like two more deep breaths in and out. And when you are ready, go ahead and open your eyes. And if this is helpful to you, go ahead and take a moment to write down what came up so that you don't lose it, so that it is written and you can revisit it. I believe whatever came up for you is what needs to be attended to. And I believe we get stuck in this hustle, in this confusion, in this loneliness, in this disconnection, because we often struggle to talk about what is really going on. It's really hard sometimes to know how to talk about it, to know how to give voice, to how to use our voices, especially in relationships at times. Because part of what loneliness tells us is that we're alone. Nobody else experiences what I experience. Nobody else, why did all the other twin moms seem to have all their stuff together? And they were like, jogging behind the you know stroller and I'm like I, I don't I still don't understand how joggers work but um, you know they had it together what was wrong with me why was I so lonely so I think we 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 struggle to talk about these things and so what happens is that we're, we're working so hard to circumvent but the pain still leaks through and so I believe what often we will start doing is 
practicing numbing behaviors. Okay, and so I made a list up here, but the list could, is more than this. Um, I kind of put the big ones up here. So alcohol, drugs, food, exercise, gaming, pornography, social media, shopping, work. So it could even be other relationships. And so let me, I want to give a few examples of these because I think it's really common to go, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not addicted to porn. I don't do drugs. I don't overexercise, you know. But I want to show you just how insidious these numbing behaviors can be. Um, so, so alcohol. So maybe we're walking in at the end of a long day, and we know as soon as we open that door, we're walking into chaos. That our children are going to be tired and hungry, and our partner is going to be frazzled and trying to get dinner on the table. And as soon as I walk in, what do I want? I want to walk to that fridge, crack a beer open, and take the edge off. That's a numbing behavior. Or maybe it's like, it's so interesting to me how like women and wine is such like a culture now. Um, so how about the woman who says, I just need a glass of wine because I know my husband's gonna wanna be intimate tonight and I gotta take the edge off a little bit. That's a numbing behavior. I don't wanna be fully present because that's too hard. Um, how about drugs? So maybe we're not drug addicts, right? But maybe we mess around with our prescription pain meds a little bit. Or maybe we take just a little bit more anti-anxiety medicine. Or maybe, now here in Colorado, this is happening, because I've heard about it. Um, you can get marijuana anywhere, right? If, totally legal. So let's go get some edible marijuana, because it's our anniversary and we want to celebrate. Okay, that's a numbing behavior. It's hard to be connected. Um, okay, food is a super socially acceptable one, right? Except that when we eat the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's, there's an issue. <laughs> We're numbing. Um, exercise. Some people will exercise hard because it's easier to feel physical pain than emotional pain. So I'll just run more, I'll do more CrossFit, or whatever, I don't know. Whatever you do. Not that they're, I'm not saying any of these are all bad. I'm saying these are, these are maladaptive when we use them to numb and escape. Please hear that. Um, I'm not saying you should never have a glass of wine. Um, the, the other few, gaming, pornography, social media, shopping, all those can be done online, right? And it's limitless. You will never exhaust those there will always be more levels to the game. The pornography is, there's, it's ever, you, know, you will not exhaust it. Um, social media, people are constantly posting. You can never exhaust that. Um, shopping, right? Any of those can be done online. And those are things that we can go to because they feel good temporarily, right? Or work. Maybe we just work more because it's at work that we feel better. Were you going to ask a question, Rob? Yeah, just real quick. You said something that I, I think I missed the second half of the phrase, oh. but it sounded like you described the characteristic of a lot of these things. You said something about they were they're maladaptive when they don't serve our needs. Is that what you said? But they're maladaptive when we're using them to like take the edge off or not feel, to escape for a minute. So what I love, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this because I, th I just think it's profound. So the Bible talks about this, right? Paul talks about in Romans 7, 19. I think I have it up here. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Okay, that's, the, that's 
I don't want to look at porn, but I keep finding myself looking at porn, right? Like, I don't want to eat the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's, but I keep finding myself in my closet eating the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's. So, like, we do, and then it, we're baffled by that. Like, why do I keep doing this? Okay, Paul experiences this. This is ancient information, which I love. It's not just because we have, like, internet now or something, which is a little, like, good to know. So it's not that we don't know what to do. We don't need any more self-help in this world. We really don't. If you want to know how to do anything, just go online. Like, you can find anything there. It's that we're not doing what we know we need to do. And... Um, I think I have another side. So we are the most obese, medicated, addicted, in-depth Americans ever, with the most resources, I might add. Like the, we, we are resourced. It's not for a lack of resources. So the reality is that we are all in pain, and many of us are really scared of getting quiet or touching the pain. Sometimes we believe I know I have in my life the lie that if I touch it and if I look at it, it will overwhelm me. That I won't be able to do it. That I'll start crying and never stop. That um, if I let it all out, I can't get it all back. I will just like become undone. And so it is, or it's too enormous. Like it's just, it's bigger than me. And if I touch it, it will, it was just too big. I believe that um, so many of us experience that, and there's actually community in that. And if we were just to talk about it, we would hear, yeah, me too, right? Yeah, me too, yeah, I felt that. You're not alone. And we're, we, we spend so much time masking, so much time showing you that I'm all right, I'm all put together. See, don't I look nice tonight? I'm all put together. Just don't ask me too many questions, because if you do, then you'll see the cracks. Right? Don't get too close because you'll see the cracks. So let's look at some of the reasons. Oh, here's a quote by Carl Jung. Loneliness does not come from having no people around you, but from being unable to communicate the things that seem important to you. Okay. The pain. The pain and suffering. So let's look at research for a minute. I'm going to get real heady for a few minutes. So... Um, the rate of loneliness has increased significantly since the 1970s and 80s. So, in the 1970s and 80s, loneliness was estimated, loneliness was estimated to be between 11 and 20%. In, two in 2010, it's estimated to be between 40 and 45%, steadily increasing. Okay, so at, in, in 2017, it's probably higher than that. Um, in 1970, Philip Slater wrote a book called The Pursuit of Loneliness, and he argued that American individualism, which he equated with loneliness, so, so he said American individualism and thus our loneliness is rooted in our attempt to deny the reality of human interdependence. So that was 1970, almost 50 years ago, before the internet, before... Everyone had a personal home computer before you could even watch television 24 hours a day. Right? I don't know if there was cable in 1970. I don't know. Um, I, all I know is that when I was little, in the late 70s, that if you watched cartoons for a certain amount of time, then you'd get the blinking like numbers, you know? <laughs> so I know like TV was not happening 24 hours a day. So this was in 1970. He's, he's writing about loneliness. Okay? So it's not a new issue. I think it might be more pervasive, I don't know, but it's not new. 
uh, researcher John Cacioppo, I don't know if I'm saying that right, he's out of the University of Chicago, has studied loneliness for 20 years. And he says, because we are a social species, right, created to be relational, created in the image of God, because we are a social species, we do not derive our strength from rugged individualism, but rather from our collective ability to plan, communicate, and work together. I would call that interdependence. Our neural, hormonal, and genetic makeup support interdependence over independence. Our bodies want interdependence. Our bodies don't want independence. Studies have also shown the deleterious effects of loneliness on our health. Loneliness increases our odds of dying by over 20%. More, um, it's more, loneliness is more detrimental to our health than air pollution, obesity, and excessive alcohol consumption. So that's a big deal. Um, and I love, so I think, I think about living in Colorado. I've spent my whole life either in California or Colorado. Like I've lived in the Western United States my whole life. Colorado is so much about rugged individualism, right? There's more population now, but historically there was less population. Or Wyoming, Montana, you know, like this group of states that we're close to, it's so much about rugged individualism. Branch out, homestead on your own, like um, blaze a new trail. Do, and go at it alone. And, um, and that's not what our bodies, our systems and our bodies don't want that. And I'll say more about that. So one author, well I think more than one author, but um, one author is talking about, is naming loneliness as a public health epidemic. <clears throat> that's, so what are other public health epidemics? Heart disease, obesity, Right, smoking, I don't know where smoking is on the scale now. I think less people smoke, but um, okay, loneliness is up there. Lonely women literally, science is like research is showing, lonely women literally feel hungrier. There's a higher, there's higher um, antibodies for the Epstein-Barr virus in people who, ex who um, experience loneliness, who are, who are um, expressing loneliness. If there's increased, re oh, I talked about the uh, increased rate of death. It, feeling lonely doubles your risk of dying from cardi heart disease, cardiovascular disease. So it does something to our cardiovascular system that increases our risk. It impacts that system in our body. Um, it is a, as unhealthy as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It negatively impacts sleep patterns, right? So how our brains are, abil are um, how our brains are able to have normal sleep patterns. It, it, loneliness impacts that. And it has, this is profound to me, it has also been found to alter gene expression. So on a cellular level, loneliness impacts us. I believe connection, um, re, being in relationship with others is in our DNA. Our, our cells want to be in relationship. And when we are not, it's impacting us. Um, Dr. Nicholas Christakis in 2009 talked about loneliness as being contagious. And he found that if, if you, are, if you um, are in relationship with someone, close relationship, so a parent, a child, a spouse, um, a, some other kind of significant other, a best friend maybe, if you are in relationship and they are, ex are experiencing loneliness, you, it impacts your ability 
to um, feel lonely also. So you will likely feel lonely as well. And people who said they were not feeling lonely, if they were, if they got into relationship with people who were lonely, started feeling lonely. So it's contagious. And I think about it as an infectious disease, right? It's like, it's infectious. Loneliness begets loneliness. Isolation begets isolation. Disconnection begets disconnection. So there's also been studies around loneliness in, and in the internet and social media. So, and there, I think there's some interesting findings. So we'll often go to the internet to alleviate our feelings of loneliness, right? I want to connect, so I'll go. So one study was done using online gaming. So not like I'm gonna play Sudoku on my phone, but um, I'm really like, not, I'm not into online gaming, but like when you can like have a headset and talk to people, like they looked at uh, World of Warcraft, but I think it's like Call of Duty maybe. There's a few, there's a few. I'm a little ignorant on this, but um, so, so men and women who were practice who were involved with online gaming were experiencing a decrease in loneliness when they were online gaming because they were connected to people but it's temporary and what happens is that the more you online game the the more it impacts your offline relationships right so they're feeling connected but it's a temporary fix so to speak um, and then when they're offline they're even more lonely well, it kind of makes sense. Um, the internet, and it's temporary because the internet eventually isolates us and stunts our real connections, our real face-to-face -face interactions. And we will often go to the internet to alleviate loneliness and and so and it works for a little bit but eventually it doesn't it doesn't work it it, it ends up hurting us in the long run so here's interesting i thought this was interesting using social media to promote face-to-face -face connection is positive and decreased loneliness so i think about online dating right people online date to eventually meet someone in person right you're not online dating so you can just online date forever Right? You're online dating in, in order to get a face-to-face, -face, hopefully, eventually. You're not going to get married online, hopefully, and like have a relationship online forever. Right? The goal is to meet face-to-face -face and have a real relationship. And so that's correlated with a decrease in loneliness. Using social media to replace face-to-face -face connection is negative and increases loneliness, obviously. So... Um, Cacioppo, I'm saying his name horribly, I'm sure, found that short-term short loneliness can be a really good thing. So if we find ourselves lonely, that can be a good thing because it, it can alert us to something needs to happen in my life. Something needs to shift or change. Something's off, and I need to look at that. But chronic loneliness is really dangerous. Being chronically lonely is a recipe that is not good. It's very dangerous. And... Um, he said that if we denied or over, override our biological need for connection, we become more defensive, less empathic, and more numbing. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking this world doesn't need any more defensive, less empath empathic, more numb people. Okay? I'm pretty sure we have enough of that. Isn't it defense more, more empathic, more defensive? 
Um, more defensive, less empathic. Yeah, and more numbing. And it's really interesting. There's like loneliness groups popping up all over the Western world. So there's this group called the Campaign to End Loneliness. It's out of the UK. There's um, the Just Say Hello campaign that was Oprah had. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but Oprah had a hand in that. And then there's another one called the Web of Loneliness, and there's many others. So there's, it's, if you, if you Google loneliness, there is no shortage of resources. It's be, the research is being done in academic, um, peer-related medical journals. It's also being talked about in Fortune, in Forbes, in Psychology Today, and People Magazine. I mean, it's all over the place right now. It really is an epidemic. And I think we need a cure. I think we need an antidote. Yes? I'm interested in how these researchers would define what you call chronic loneliness when you were talking about it being dangerous. Mm -hmm. they said, you said chronic loneliness. Mm -hmm. And, and, and how are you going to diagnose that in yourself? Oh, I'm not chronic, it just comes and goes. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know how they're defining that. I think of, I think of like, if I relate it to other, other issues, like I think we can have moments of feeling depressed and we can have chronic depression that we can't climb out of. I, like I think those, that might be like a, another example. I think loneliness is different from, loneliness is not depression, but um, like when I think about living a lonely life, it's just like, like lo loneliness begets loneliness, right? So we, we are not connected and we get used to that not connected. And when it's not comfortable, we maybe don't like it, but we don't know what to do. And so we just kind of continue this lonely life. But it's so easy in our culture so easy. to just oh. keep going. You mm -hmm. can walk in and out of church, you can mm -hmm. be on a tennis court, you can walk a trail, you can go shop. Who, how no one would know, is right? ever going to be determined that it's chronic? Well, and I wonder if it's, you can self-diagnose maybe too, that, and I wonder if it matters to some degree that if you're identifying that you're lonely, whether it's chronic or not, something needs to happen. And so, and I, I love the point you just made. In our culture, it's so easy, right? In fact, our culture perpetuates this. And, you know, and, and yeah, it's really easy, like, Forge your own trail, do your thing, keep achieving, do this, you know, stay busy. You can be really busy and totally disconnected. And you pretend and then everybody else thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just wonder if these mass shooters had the chronic loneliness oh, and they didn't have yeah. the support to kind of buffer these wild and crazy ideas. Oh, yes. So I just heard that there is some research being done, because we have enough now to research it, um, that, that yes, loneliness is being identified as one of the precursors to, to them. And it makes sense, right? Yeah, intuitively it does make sense. That's right, yeah. And yes, and, and I was going to say, I should have said this earlier, it's not about being alone, right? Because. Like I, every morning I get my kids up and I send them off to school and I'm like, yes, I'm alone. I'm alone, I love being alone. That's not loneliness. And I am an introvert, I love my alone time. I think, like I could probably be alone the rest of my life and I couldn't, I need connection. But I love, I love my alone time. But part of why I love my alone time is that I have a lot of connection. 
So I know that I'm not alone forever. Um, okay, so we need a cure and we need an antidote. So we're going to talk about that. So any ideas what the antidote to loneliness is? If you've read Brene Brown, you know, but you may know. What I'm not going to tell you is get involved in another small group, go to da da da. You know, like I'm not going to tell you find a meetup. I'm not going to tell you any of that. The antidote to loneliness is belonging. It's belonging. And this, I'm going to be diving into more Brene Brown's research here in just a moment. What I I just found this the other day. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if any, if any of you have taken intro to psych class or human development or whatever, you have seen this before. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, basic needs, food, water, warmth, rest, safety needs, security and safety. That's not, this is not talking about, um, I need to feel safe. This is not like I need safe relationships. This is about, I need to know my home is safe and secure. I need to know that when I go outside, I'm going to be safe or that my car will run from point A to point B and I will be stranded somewhere. What's next? Belongingness and love needs. Love and belonging. That's just above. It's a basic need, right? It's just above these, it was just above the basic needs. You know, it's before we get to any esteem needs or self-actualization. We need to know that we belong and that we are loved. So let's look at Brittany Brown's research. So she, um, and I brought the books just to show y'all. Um, so in the Gifts of Imperfection, this is one of, this is her second book that she wrote. And this is the book that in all of her stuff, I always go back to this one. I love this book. The Gifts of Imperfection. She defined uh, belonging as the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Okay. Because this yearning is so primal, I would say because we're created to, with this need, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. So let's come back to this, what I was talking about circumventing, right? We want to fit in. We want to get approval. That's what we want. And I would say in some ways, like, we feel like we need those. But we're actually creating more barriers. When we see a person that just looks perfect, in some ways, that's a barrier to getting to know them, right? When we see someone who's constantly meeting everyone's needs, it's like, well, well you know, like, there's no space to serve them, right? It's a barrier to getting what we actually need. With these, I think about um, fitting in. So let's talk about fitting in for a moment. I have two middle schoolers. Middle school was quite middle school was quite traumatic in my life. I um, if I could have like had my children miss this stage of life, I would have. It's a hard stage of life, right? And when you go on a middle school campus, what do you see? It's like fitting in at its finest, right? I have so when I was in junior high, or not, right? It's a hustle to fit in though. Um, when I was in seventh, I had junior high, seventh, eighth grade. Thank God it was only two years. Um, for me, it was like I had to have guest jeans. I had to have guest <laughs> jeans, so I fit in, right? So I had the white guest jean overalls that, like, how many days in a row can you wear them? Or, you, <laughs> or like, I had to have Reeboks, you know? I had to have the Reeboks that looked cool so that I would fit in. Or, like, 
or like a perm, right? But like we get to the home perm and it didn't like quite turn out as I thought it should. But like that was how I hustled to try to fit in. Okay, and I see it, I see it in my boys. I see it with their friends now. It's like, don't be weird. Don't be not cool. Like you gotta fit in. So, so um, I think about middle school. For me, like here's another example from my life. When I had my boys and I was feeling so disconnected, so overwhelmed, I was so disconnected. Um, there was some trauma that happened around their birth. Like I was just a mess. And I remember I would pop them in their infant carriers and carry them out to the car. And like my whole goal was to just get to Target. Because if I got to Target, I'd put them in the, in the, in the shopping cart and what would happen? Oh my gosh, you have twins! Look at you! Oh my gosh, they're so cute! Right? And I'm like eating it up. Like, oh, you're such a good mom. Look at you, you're doing so great. Like, that's what I would do. Can you relate? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like, Target was my, like, was like heaven to me. Because as soon as I left, I felt like a mess again. But if, as long as I was there, and I don't even know if I need anything, I'm sure I needed something. Who doesn't need something at Target? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was like my outing. Like that is where I was like, I just I gotta fit into this world. I don't feel like I fit into it all. And you know, the world wasn't made for twins, so I got, automatically didn't feel like I felt fit in at all. Um, or like, it's like I felt, I felt alone in my marriage a lot. Like, how can I be, but I would present, like, I married this great guy, and I did marry a great guy, but we could, I could fake it a lot. Like, we could fit in, we could look like we were doing really great, right? And we weren't, always. And um, so I try to fit in with others around that. Um, oh, I think about, like, immigrants in our world right now. Like, I can't imagine leaving a culture, coming to a new culture, trying to, what, fit in. That is what they're trying to like try to fit in while holding on to my culture. Like I can't, I can't really imagine how how lonely that would feel. How lonely that must feel. Um, I think about people who are divorced in the church, right? Like I gotta I gotta try to fit in, but I feel like I so don't fit in. I think it's um, I think that's really hard. Or I'm afraid I'm gonna be judged if people know I'm a single mom. Um, I, so I got to act like I got it all together. Um, or the aging population, like, am I relevant anymore now that I'm over 70 or over 80? Is there a place for me? Do I even fit in anymore? Do I belong? This can be lonely. And so fitting in is, is a hollow substitute for belonging, and it doesn't work. It never works. We can try it really a lot, and it just doesn't work. So she went on. So the beauty, so the saving grace in saying that I would um, talk about loneliness is beautiful Brene Brown happened to come out with her new book <laughs> called Braving the Wilderness right when I was getting ready to do this talk, and it's called The Quest. It says the quest for true belonging and the courage to stand alone. So um, she talked about loneliness and belonging a lot in this book. So she, def she, in more research she has done, she has come to, to a new definition for what she calls true belonging. So true belonging is a spiritual practice, we're going to come back to that, of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can 
share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. There's a lot of information in that. So true belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. And if you guys don't get all these definitions, whatever, just come up to me and ask me later. I'm happy to like email slides to you or whatever you need. I love this quote. True belonging only happens when we present our authentic imperfect selves to the world. Not something that's super easy, just has hard work, doesn't feel good, right? Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. So what does that imply? We have to do some hard inside work before we can we before we can belong. Not before we can belong, but I think the more work we do on ourselves, the more we can belong is a better way to say it. So again, the Bible, let's return to that, talks about this. Matthew 22, 36-40, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like, is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two com commandments. So the greatest commandment, love God with all of yourself. What does that imply? I would say it implies that we have to know ourselves. We can only love as much as we know to love. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. Love self and others. So I, I hear all the time, whenever I hear this verse talked about, I cringe a little bit. Because what is never said is that we can only love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Okay? We have to love ourselves first. And we don't talk about this a lot in the church. We don't talk about the idea of self-love. Because what is that, what is, what comes to your mind when I say self-love? Egotistical, conceited, selfish. selfish. Uh huh. Are you cringing a little when you even hear that? Self-love, ooh, that's no-no. That's no-no if I'm a Christian, right? I would argue against that. I would say it's absolutely essential that you know yourself. I cannot tell you how many clients I sit with and I say, you cannot serve from an empty vessel. You cannot give from an empty vessel. If I do not know myself, I cannot love somebody else well. If I don't know how to love me well, I cannot love somebody else as well. I cannot give what I do not have. And I would offer that the more we love ourselves, the more sacrificial we can be, the more available we can be, the more we have to offer. We're not empty already. We're not exhausted. We're not hustling. We're giving from an authentic place in ourselves. And we are created, again, to be relational, inter interdependent. That before Eve was created, Adam knew God and himself perfectly, right? And then he needed to be in relationship with another human being, okay? And oftentimes we forget ourselves. We step out of the pyramid and we go, okay, I'm going to connect with God and others, but I'm not even a part of the equation. It's a recipe, I would say, for loneliness. It's a recipe for disconnection. It's a recipe for going, I don't know who I am right? It's a recipe for midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> I say now that I'm in my 40s. Um, so what do we do? So I want to, let me see, 
Yeah, I think I'll talk about this, and then I want to give you an example from my life. So healing from loneliness and stepping into belonging is contingent on knowing ourselves well and being willing to share up, show up with others in an authentic way. This is hard work. This sounds like, okay, okay I, just, I just need to, what? I just need to know myself well and show up with others authentically. Like, that's really hard work. It's messy work. So I want to share an example from my life, my recent life. Again, like when you say you're going to talk about loneliness, you get ample opportunity to experience this. Um, okay, so earlier this year, several months ago, I um, was choosing to step out of a group that I had been a part of for, um, I think, around three years. And this group, I still believe to this day, had very good intentions of being a place where you, where one could experience healing and growth. But for me, based on how, how things were kind of organized, it was becoming more and more dysfunctional for me to be there. And so I knew I had to, I knew that stepping out was what was coming, but I was so reticent to do it because it was, it, these people had become my community. These people had become the people that we did stuff with, that we hung out with on the weekends, whose kids played with my kids, who, who my kids looked forward to being with them. And I knew that stepping out of this group was going to impact all of that. And so I didn't want, I really didn't want to do it. And I really, I really had thought that this place had become my place of belonging. That's what I had thought. But what, what ended up happening, part of my journey was that as I started, as I kind of started initially kind of stepping away, um, even just internally in myself, like I knew it was coming, I returned to therapy and I started attending 12-step meetings. And I really started working on myself in a rigorous way. And um, what I came to realize is that although I thought I was belonging, I was actually working hard to fit in. And it was a quiet fitting in, and I didn't even know I was doing it. And I think of myself as a woman who is pretty introspective and kind of knows what's going on. I didn't even know I was doing this. It's quiet, and it can be quiet and insidious, this fitting in, I, this fitting in game. And so um, what I also came to learn is that one of my character defects is that I care deeply what people think of me. Not that I always know what people think of me, but what I think people think of me. I want people to like me. That matters a lot to me. Um, I want to be accepted. I want, um, yeah, I, it, that matters to me. I wish it didn't. I wish I didn't care so much, but I care a lot. And so as a result, I was showing up in this group uh, withholding at times. I was showing up this group with this group looking like I was talking about a lot, but still couching things. Like, I will, I'll tell you as much. But I'm going to tell you this part, but not this part, because this may create some ripples, um, or I would just stay quiet. I would be present, I would be engaged, but I would be quiet. And, um, and, I, and, and that was happening in this group, but that would happen in other places in my life as well. And so I also am a woman who I do not tend to give a lot of information about myself unless I'm asked. And so it's really easy to hide, right? So I'll let you think you know me but you don't really know me unless you ask me a question, then I'll share it with you. I'm not withholding, I'm not, I'm not, not gonna share, but you have to ask me, right? So that's a little gamey, right? Um, <laughs> so, so I wasn't showing up super honestly. I would stay quiet, I would couch information. Um, 
And I really resisted looking at what I knew needed to happen. And so, but I started practicing. I started practicing using my voice. I started practicing showing up stronger and clearer. Um, I started practicing saying what I needed. And my worst fear was that I would do this and I would be rejected. And that I would be told, that's nice, but that's not what we want, or we can't meet those needs. And that's exactly what happened. So that's really painful. It was painful, but, well, I'll come back to that. So it was really painful. It was very hard. But I couldn't keep showing up in a place trying to fit in. That that was more painful than being rejected. Or being told, like, we, we don't want what you want. What I came to learn about myself is that for me to grow and for me to find belonging, I have to do that in really sacred places that are structured to be safe. So for me, that's going to therapy. For me, that's having a space that is all about me. I don't have to couch anything, right? I'm with a therapist who, like, that's her job to give me feedback on myself and to, like, hold space for me and to... Show, tell me what she sees. Um, and I have to give her all of, I have to show up in order for her to help me, right? Or 12-step meetings for me are about, um, that's my, I own that space for me. I go and I can share about myself and I can hear somebody else share, but that's it. I can learn from them, they can learn from me, but, it, but, but they're, not my, they're not necessarily my friends, right? So I do my work in those places and I get to, my friendships get to glean that benefit. So I can, I can show up and I can talk about, marriage is really freaking hard. Like, I don't know if I want this thing anymore, right? I don't always like my kids. I can't stand my kid when he or she does this or that. I can show up in the mess because I know, I know what to do with that now. I don't need that other person to do anything, but just listen. And so um, that's what I've learned about myself, that I can't do that messy work with my friendships, okay? I can't, there are, I will do it with my very best friend, I will do it with my husband. Outside of that, I don't do it. But I get to show up more whole, I get to show up belonging to myself, and thus I think belonging to other people. Um, So this was really, really hard, painful work for me. It's not work that I wanted to do, but I think it speaks exactly to what she said when she, let me come back to, oh, oh, I'm not going the right way. Hang on. This, I think it comes back to this. True belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. I had to do, a, I still have to do a lot of work on self-acceptance that's my work right now. And so that I can show up authentically and imperfectly and know that it's okay to do that. All right, so what do we do with this? So that, okay, so that's belonging to self. That's how we try to belong to ourselves. What about others? So with others, we first must believe that we are worthy. Okay, that in itself is a whole lot of work right there. Because shame seeps in, and shame says you're not worthy. Shame says don't show up. Honestly, shame says hide, lie, be alone. Okay? Um, believing we are worthy is really vulnerable. It's really vulnerable. And talking about what gets in the way of belonging is really vulnerable. 
okay? That's really hard to talk about. And I think it requires us to find safe places and safe people to do that. We have to do it with people who have earned the right to hear that from us. We do, it's not, you don't just do it with anyone. Because that, I think that creates more hurt. It's real easy to return to those four Ps and return to that hustle for worthiness in relationship with others. And I just want to repeat, fitting in is not belonging. And it feels, in the places and spaces that you belong in life, it feels really, really good. You know what that feels like. In the places and spaces where you are fitting in, I, I think something always feels a little off. I think for me, I knew that group, like something was off by, for years I couldn't name it, I couldn't put my finger on it. It looked like we were doing really great work. I wasn't growing, but I thought we were doing really great work. So let's talk about a plan of action in our last few minutes together. So how do we move? So this may all sound good, but like how do we do it, right? That's, okay, great, show up authentic, but you know. How do we do it? How do we move from loneliness to belonging? You may be sitting there going, yes, this is what I want. You may be sitting there going, nope, this sounds hard. Um, and that's okay. So I want to first talk about, real briefly, this idea of integration. I think it's real easy in our lives to live compartmentalized. So I'm going to live in my mind where I'm just going to like, just, I just need more information, just more knowledge. If I have more knowledge, if it all makes sense, then I'm fine. Um, or sometimes we live in our emotions. We're kind of tossed by the waves of our emotions. Like if, you know, if I feel sad, that's all, it's like all encompassing. Like I don't know how to get out of my emotions. I just swim in them. Or sometimes we just live in our bodies. Like if it feels good, do it. If it feels good in my body, I'll just do it. And I would propose that we are more, we are actually created to be connected. So loving God with all of who we are is about being connected. And I think integration happens. Do you like my Venn diagram that I really couldn't figure out how to do? That's, that's integration. I don't know how to color that part. I'll just put an arrow in. Um, so where it all overlaps is where we are integrated. Heart, heart meaning emotions, mind, and body. And I actually believe that's also where we meet God. And we're going to talk about spirituality in just, just one moment. Um, I think in our culture, it's really easy to live disconnected. Okay? It's really easy. I think, um, I think we were created to live connected, though. It's also, some of us also will hop islands. So, um, so like, in my family of origin, we, like, the, and I think this is true for a lot of people, there was not a lot of emotional awareness. And so... If, you could, if, if, if an emotion didn't make sense, it wasn't valid. So, so we just would like hop back over to our minds. Like, let's just get out of that emotion and go to our minds. So we're, like, let's make sense of this. Let's think this through. Um, so we can hop emotion, we can hop islands instead of pulling ourselves in together. Um, so part of the definition, I wanna talk about spirituality. Part of the definition um, in Brene Brown's research was that true belonging requires a spiritual practice. And some of you may be sitting there going, spirituality, like, whatever. I don't even know what that means. And I think in our culture, it can mean anything and everything, right? It's like, what is it? I don't know. What it, what's spirituality? I don't know. Um, for me, I'm going to define, I'm going to tell you how I define it. And you can use my definition. You don't have to. It, it might be different for you. I think in some ways, spirituality can be a really... Um, 
a really personal definition. So for me, spirituality is about how I commune with the Spirit of God. It's how I relate to God. It's about, for me, attuning to the present because I can only meet God in the present. It's about acknowledging that as a human being created in the image of God, I am linked to every, I am linked to others by a power greater than me. That I'm not my own God. Um, it's, it's about acknowledging that I am not in control, that I can't heal myself, but that God can. Spirituality is how I surrender to God. It's when I say, not my will, but yours be done. So that's what spirituality is for me. It's, it's where I meet God, how I meet God. So I, I named a few things. How I commune with the Spirit of God, how I relate to God, attuning to the present moment. Again, as human beings, we can only meet God in the present. That's the only place we, in the here and now is where we meet God. Our minds can go all over the place, but our bodies are only present right here, right now. And God can meet us here, right now, okay? Um, and God can exist anywhere, but we cannot. So Richard Rohr is, I think, a Benedictine monk. What is he? Benedictine monk? I thought. Do you know? I, I actually was trying to think that. Yeah. I like him, though. Yeah, he's a monk, I believe. Um, priest something. I don't know. He's, he's based out of New Mexico. But he um, has written a lot of contemplative books. And one of his books is called Bre Breathing Underwater. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate to this a little bit. Um, and so he says, the work of spirituality is to have three spaces open within us simultaneously, our opinionated head, our closed down heart, and our defensive and defended body. Spirituality is work on our part. It's also the work, work on God's part. It is what holistic faith looks like. And when these three spaces are open, we are present. And change and growth and healing and belonging happen in the present. Okay, so how do we do that? So... So to open our mind, we really need a contemplative or a, a meditate, meditative practice. This is not saying a prayer. This is not going, okay, God, I have my list of people to pray for. Like, this is not, that's not what contemplative or meditation looks like. For me, I think about meditation or, con, or, con, or contemplative, contemplative practice is about deep speaking to deep. It's getting quiet. It's listening. It's like those deep prayers. It's praying, but it's not, it's not reciting a prayer. It's not going through my list of prayer requests. It's like deep speaks to deep. For our heart to open, we must heal from old wounds. That's, that's a lifelong process right there, right? We must be broken and broken open. And our heart is most, most fully open when we are also in right relationships with other people. And with our body, I, like bodies are really amazing. Our bodies never lie. Our bodies never lie. And our bodies will hold something until we're ready to deal with it. And re, again, research is telling us this as well. Um, it's talked often about with trauma that, um, that our bodies hold our trauma. But I believe our bodies hold all of our emotion. That is why when something triggers my anger and I have this huge response to anger, it's not about what just happened. Like there's old anger in there or old sadness or old shame or old whatever. Um, so I wonder what works for you. I wonder what works for you in terms of connecting well to yourself, knowing yourself well. 
Okay? If, if we're trying to circumvent our pain and we're trying to hustle to fit in and, and we're finding ourselves lonely, maybe even chronically lonely, and we know that one tool we can use is spirituality to get integrated and get connected to ourselves and to God, I wonder what works for you. So I want to, in our last few minutes, um, I want to just offer us a couple minutes of space to do a little practice, okay? So I think what I, I have a few things. I think what I'm going to do, I know what I'm going to do. I want you to close your eyes. Let's close our eyes again. Take a few deep breaths. I know I'm throwing a lot of content at you. Get quiet. I might play, I'm going to play some really quiet music, and I'm going to read some poems to you. Part of how we can connect to ourselves is through right brain activities. We connect to God and to ourselves through right brain activities. So I'm just going to play some quiet music. I'm going to read some poetry. As you are, says God, after you answer. As you are, says God, before you answer. As you are, says God, when you answer. As you are, says God, how you answer. As you are, says God, why you answer. Because you are happening now, right now, right at this moment, and your happening is beautiful. Your happening is beautiful, the thing that both keeps me alive and brings me to my knees. You don't even know how breathtaking you are. As you are, says God. Precious. A word we barely know, but no, we are not. So then I say this to you, you, with a low sun face, with the burning mountain eyes, you with the skin that is always dusted with stars, you, you are precious, you are precious, you are precious. Spend time with this. So if you need to, and if you want to, um, 
Spend some time, a few minutes, just journaling. Come back to where are you lonely? What do you need the God of your understanding to know? What do you need to hear from God? How do you hear from God? What do you need to be present? What do you need to have in order for you to get quiet and connect to God and yourself? going to let this music keep playing and you can stay where you are. I just want to say a few things. So you don't need to know the whole path. You don't need to know what all this looks like. All you need to know is the next right thing. Okay, that's all you need to know. What do you need to do next? What do you need to do to belong more to you? What do you need to do to belong more to others or to God? Knowing we belong to God is a journey also. There was a long time in my Christian walk that I didn't know that I needed to belong to God. I just thought my job was to just try to know him and do the right thing. I didn't know even though I had always been taught it's a relationship, I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. So knowing that we belong to God is really important too. So I want to remind you, as we close, that we are all more similar than we are different. That's the reality is we are all more similar than we are different. Our details look different, but as humans we are so much more alike than we are different. We all want and need so many of the same things. We all want and need belonging. We are all at some point struggling, at some point in our lives or currently have struggled with or will struggle with loneliness. I think in some ways it's just part of the human condition. I do have an opportunity if anyone is interested, well, let me say this, if anyone is interested in pursuing deeper work in this area, I'm a therapist, you can ask me for time to meet. I can also refer you to somebody else. I have no illusion that I am the best therapist in the world or that everyone would be a good fit with me. So, but if you are seeking that, let me know. I'm happy to refer you to someone or if you want to see me, I'm happy to make that happen as well. Um, I wonder what, I wonder if there's other, I think there's a million other tools. Things like going on a retreat, things like um, maybe doing some group work going to um, recovery meetings if you need that. There's, the list is limitless. I do have one resource and I have flyers for this. I am offering what I'm calling a, is a daring journey to belonging using the Daring Way curriculum with, um, that I use with, with Brene Brown's research. And um, this is the information, I have a flyer if you want it. Is, I'm realizing that we're a few minutes past eight. Are there any questions that you have for me as we wrap up?
thank you all for coming. I really appreciate this time. I'm going to keep saying that.